Uh, we can begin our worship by singing from Psalm 48 and sing psalms. And we'll sing verses 1 to 8. Great is the Lord who rules on high, with praises temple fill, within the city of our God, and on his holy hill. We'll sing verses 1 to 8. <coughs> sense in which we are always in, in your presence because you are the omnipresent God but there are also aspects of your presence that make this differences distinguish, distinguish between one kind and another and when we come to worship you there's a indication in your word that your presence is known in a very special manner uh, we come to you with our uh, where we are in life at present 
No doubt we've all got our disappointments and our frustrations, our fears, our concerns. Perhaps some of us have got uh, happy experiences at the moment that uh, fill our hearts with joy. And we know that good things and uh, negative things can disturb our worship of you. They can distract our minds. They can take our thoughts of the living God. But here we are, Lord, uh, before you, and we are here to worship you. And we thank you that you have told us in your word about yourself. And that means we don't have to grope in the dark as we come into your presence. But we know that there are certain things that we can think about that are pleasing to you. It's good for us to think about who you are, the great God of eternity, the God who reigns in heaven, who regards the earth as his footstool. To us, the earth is very big. But obviously, from your perspective, in a certain sense, it is quite small in comparison to your greatness. We thank you, too, that your word tells us that you're the God of love. That within your being, uh, love has existed in its fullest quality eternally and obviously there are aspects of that that we don't understand but we thank you Lord that you have shown your love in an incredible manner and that you sent your son uh, to be the saviour and we come to worship a God not merely a God who loved us and was concerned about us in some intellectual manner but you showed your love in a very practical and demonstrative way and we can see that at the cross and we pray Lord that as we draw near to you just now we would uh, be thinking of the cross your power was revealed there when Jesus paid the penalty for sin and we thank you too that your grace was revealed there as he died in the place of sinners and therefore because he did that and is now resurrected and ascended and highly exalted because he did all these things we can draw near to you he is our uh, intercessor he is the one who gives us access he leads us as it were into your presence and there we can see a reconciled God and we pray Lord that we would be thankful that that is the case Lord we thank you too that in your word uh, you give us instances where people felt uh, compelled uh, to draw near to you and in the Psalms we find many examples of that and as we have just been singing uh, even in times of turmoil and difficulty uh, people can draw near to you and they found you to be uh, everything that they required and Lord, we pray if that is where we are, that you would be showing to us that you can meet our needs. As Paul himself said, that his God was able to supply all our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ. So whether we need assurance or a sense of... Um, stability or 
comfort or direction. We just pray, Lord, that in one way or another uh, you would meet our needs today. We bless the congregation here. We pray for each person connected to it, that you would remember them and just bless them in their spiritual lives and in their other aspects of life as well. Remember the minister. We pray for Fahi and we pray for his family, that you would remember them. And we just commit everything to you uh, regarding the life of the congregation and its witness. We pray that for every congregation in our denomination and also every congregation of your people in our country and throughout the world. Remember our nation at this time. We pray you would uh, bless it. We confess that we have turned away from your ways and in many aspects of life we are seeing uh, your response to that and much of the confusion that's around. But we pray, Lord, that you would have mercy on us and that you would come and restore your cause and not only restore your cause but restore your own laws. And we just pray, Lord, that you would show your mercy in that way. So, Lord, we pray that you would uh, be with us in our service, and we just ask you to bless us uh, with the riches of the gospel. So remember us, we ask, and pardon our sins, for Christ's sake. Amen. Speak to the children just now. Um, I don't know if you know what this is. Um, it's... Uh, computer stick and on this particular one um, there are lots of things about me photographs thousands of them going back almost two centuries sorry this century and last century original ones are black and white because when they were first taken <laughs> there was no colour but there they are they're all on here and if somebody wanted to find the real me here it is put it in your pocket put it at home and stick it in and you might be surprised what you would find uh, lots of things and sometimes uh, when I put it in and I look at all these photographs I say to myself did I really look like that? and I try and say no you didn't but um, camera never lies and there it is other times I look at it and I say to myself who's that? and sometimes there can be several individuals in the photographs and I haven't a clue who they are at the time when it was taken I knew who they were but with the passing of time um, they've all their identity has disappeared and this thing although it's got all that information doesn't tell me who they are it just leaves me in the dark regarding uh, these people who I have forgotten about. And as I was um, thinking about this, I asked myself, I want to ask you this too, then God knows more about me than this. I think that's an interesting question, isn't it? All these thousands of photographs in them, I mean, if they were to be appear on the screen uh, one after the other, it would take a few hours to go through them all. But if God was to go through everything he knows about me, then it would be a lot longer than this, wouldn't it? And God does know everything about me. And that's actually quite liberating. 
because it means it's true for all of us of course isn't it but it means we can be honest in the presence of God God knows everything about us and regarding the people who have forgotten whose names I cannot remember or sometimes names I get wrong and I, I say well that's so and so and I find out it wasn't uh, God never makes that kind of mistake does he he's always 100% right and therefore that's good to know that as well isn't it so I don't know if you've got a computer stick at home I know you don't need them nowadays but with the cloud and all that but uh, sometimes it's good to be able to touch something and realize that it contains all that details and it's also good at times to get in touch with God and remember what he knows and he doesn't forget anything about us so let's like you to remember that okay um, we can sing again the remaining verses of Psalm 48 uh, verses 9 to 14 we contemplate your steadfast love within your house O God for like your name your praise extends through all the earth abroad verses 9 to 14 Psalms in the Old Testament and we can read Psalm 46 uh, to the choir master of the sons of Korah according to Alamoth a song God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, 
though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though as waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. Uh, Selah just means think about that. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And may God bless that reading. We'll now sing from Psalm 34 in the Scottish Psalter and verses 17 to 22. The righteous cry unto the Lord, he unto them gives ear, and they out of their troubles all by him delivered are. We'll stand and sing verses 17 to 22.
Well, we can turn back to the psalm we read there a short time ago, uh, Psalm 46. And I would just like us to think a bit about uh, the entire psalm. I remember uh, a long time ago that someone said the best way to understand a psalm is to read the first verse and then read the last verse. And um, and no doubt that is uh, true for many of them, uh, because obviously the first verse is the introduction, and the last verse is the conclusion. And in between, the author of the psalm just explains why he got from his introduction to his conclusion. I think sometimes um, we imagine, or maybe some of us haven't really thought about it, but we may just picture the psalmist writing his particular um, poem in a kind of um, state of spiritual high where everything around him is smooth and there are no difficulties and within a couple of minutes he has written the particular psalm and we do sometimes think that don't we I mean how long for example did it take David to write Psalm 23 and we can sing it in four or five minutes I wonder how long it took him to write it and also to ask why he wrote it because he initially wrote it for himself and then by extension to um, the benefits of other believers sometimes uh, psalm is written in the middle of a situation and uh, and the author of the psalm is just expressing what we might call his uncertainties where is this all going I mean psalm 73 is one like that isn't it where the the writer of that psalm looked around and he knew that God had promised to be good to Israel but yet in the first part of the psalm he's basically saying well where's the evidence for that and of course with regard uh, to evidence you have to look in the right place and according to that psalm he didn't get the answers until he uh, went and looked in the house of God and that's where he found the answers to his dilemmas and many of the psalms have these kind of um, circumstances um, the reaction in a, to events that are going on and how they wrestle uh, mentally and emotionally uh, with their situations the psalms obviously are very human and they often describe life as it is and what we need in those kind of situations well what kind of psalm is psalm 46 the first three verses are the author one of the sons of Korah is there that person or maybe it's more than one author who knows the sons of Korah the, they are describing how they feel after a terrible situation and as we read the psalm they say God is our refuge and strength and their past experience has shown them how that is the case <coughs> So in verses 1 to 3 they express their confidence but then in 
verses 4 to 6 they explain what has happened to bring about such confidence 4 to 9 sorry and then in verse 10 God speaks wonder why he speaks in verse 10 the he always knows when to say something doesn't he so why didn't he say it at the end of verse 3 why does he say it at the end of verse 9 and then in verse 11 well there's the final mention of this refrain the Lord of hosts is with us the God of Jacob is our fortress that occurs uh, repeatedly or three times in the psalm and uh, sorry twice in the psalm verse 7 and verse 11 so I'd just like us to think briefly about each of these areas of this psalm the people have obviously great confidence there don't they God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble what they have experienced and we'll think about that in a minute but what they have experienced enables them to look out into the future and that's quite interesting isn't it because we would perhaps think that having a crisis as described there in verses 4 to 9 might darken the future but here actually it gives them confidence uh, for the future and their confidence is expressed in such a way that it doesn't actually matter what's going to happen in the future the author uses two big pictures to describe that he imagines an earthquake and he imagines a tsunami and even if both of them occur at the same time as he says there in verses 2 and 3 he will still know that God is their refuge and their strength even though they have come through a difficulty and in the future there might be other difficulties but even if one should come that the only way to describe it is like an earthquake or a tsunami God is still refuge and strength and of course that's marvellous isn't it to be able to look at life ahead of us and of course none of us knows what's ahead of us each of us could have different earthquakes and each of us could have different tsunamis and it's easy in one way to stand and say God is our refuge and strength but this psalm sort of tells us that the only way we can say that about the future is, how go- is because how God has helped us in the past and therefore it's good for us to pay attention to what these authors are saying so verses 1 to 3 I think there are three lessons we can learn we just mentioned the first one which is that the past gives confidence for the future God as one hymn writer says based on one of the Psalms God our help in ages past <laughs> I don't know if you've thought of that God our help in ages past we weren't there were we physically in ages past how was he our help in ages past well the answer to that as we know is that God's people are one so what happened to this in the past happened to us it didn't just happen to them it happened to us 
we are part of it in one way or another and even whatever was going on here in Jerusalem is part of our identity as well as part of our history and we are to get confidence for the future from the past and when we think about that where else are we going to get it anyway we don't know the future we may not understand the present but the past we can look at it and say yeah God did something so that's the first lesson from the three verses first three verses the second one is the bigness of God we may ask well, how do these three verses show the bigness of God well I think the answer to that question is in the pronouns God is our refuge I mean normally when somebody comes to uh, rescue someone or something like that it's one to one or something like that they, they can't handle a lot of people simultaneously but God he can and not only is he able to do it it's how he does it the word our plural is very important the psalmists here when whatever they were describing this crisis that had come their way in Jerusalem it wasn't just one or two of the people in Jerusalem that God had helped it was all of them and God is a very big God doesn't matter how big or what size his kingdom is at any given moment in, in, on the earth he can help all of them he knows what each of them is and at the right time the right moment he comes and helps so we are to think about how the past helps us and we are to remind ourselves of the bigness of God far bigger than we can possibly imagine and connected to that is the nearness of God refuge I mean if there's a building over there and I am here that building is not my refuge it's just a building it only becomes my refuge if I go into it God is our refuge he's near indeed if we want to take the picture we're in him just as we, we go into another building to get refuge safe from a storm and inside the building we're safe God is near our refuge and, and he's always our refuge so that reminds us of his faithfulness and you know and his nearness and his faithfulness go together and connected to that as well is his competence God is our refuge and our strength there's no point going into a building for refuge if it's about to be knocked over by the wind but our God he's almighty and therefore it's good for us to go to him for refuge and these three lessons I mean they're obvious aren't they they just come out from what these psalmists experienced and they're writing it down to tell us and they've written it down for our good because they know that their God will be our God 
and therefore we have their testimony. But in verses 4 to 9, we have a picture of what had happened. And it's a very um, um, graphic uh, description of what had taken place. Most people think that the psalm here is describing the, the attack on Judah by Sennacherib, the Assyrian emperor. And Sennacherib, well, he was on the march. The nations there in verse 8, they're raging. But they're raging with fear. Who can defe defeat this apparently uh, all-conquering emperor? Before him, the nations totter. And they disappear. And he's come to the gates of Jerusalem. Now, the, in the ancient cities of the world, what they needed to have was a river. If they had a river, they would survive. Because the river would give them water. And as we know, I mean, Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, it had the uh, Euphrates, the Tigris. Naaman, when he comes to get um, to to <coughs> dip himself in the Jordan, before that he boasts about the rivers of Damascus. Every important city had a river except Jerusalem all that Jerusalem had was a stream and that's what's referred to there in verse 4 there is a river not a big Euphrates river there's a, it's mentioned in the New Testament as the pool of Siloam a little spring where water came down from outside the city into the city and as long as that stream flowed the residents were safe they wouldn't die of thirst of course there were some benefits in not having a big river I mean an obvious one is in a small stream that a boat couldn't sail up it and, and attack you and anyway Jerusalem survived the onslaught because there was a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Every day they got up and looked over the city walls and there were the Assyrians making their boastful noises. But as they looked round their city, the water was still flowing. And that was amazing. Because after all, all the Assyrians had to do was stop it. But they didn't stop it. Why didn't they stop it? Well, who knows? But it might have been too small to bother with. <coughs> What's the use of that little stream? Well, God had his own plans. God is wise. But I think there's spiritual lessons in that, isn't there? I mean, one is that God uses what is small and what is weak and what is insignificant in the eyes of the world just to keep his cause going. Jerusalem, the holy city, it is saved by the presence of a small stream. Every day, the residents of Jerusalem would just get as much water as they needed. Nothing more. That was all. But every day it would come. And is that not a, a picture of divine grace? Sometimes I try and picture divine grace. 
What does much grace mean? Can we describe it? Grace is not something we can put in a box and store it for some other time. Grace is what God provides at the moment, every moment. And He just supplies what we need at those moments. He won't give us any more than we need. And he won't give us any less than we need. It just comes. And because that is the case, we could imagine these residents of this city saying, God's grace is sufficient. And it, is, it was sufficient, wasn't it? It didn't have to be as big as the Euphrates. All it had to be was this dream that kept on flowing. It was sufficient for their needs all the time. And because it was provided by God, of course, I mean, God the Creator put that stream there long before the city was there. When the stream was there, and we know Hezekiah made his tunnel and so on. And it's quite surprising to know that you can still go there today and see it. But God in his sovereignty surprised him, didn't he? He planned long before Sennacherib was born that this stream would be there to protect his people and provide for them when the trouble came and because it was sufficient grace and because it was God's sovereign grace it means of course it gives security and where else can we be secure but in God's grace as Paul himself was told wasn't he my grace is sufficient for you. <coughs> Something else about the city that the Sennacherib didn't understand. And Sennacherib was used to seeing cities with temples and so on. And all these temples of these other cities they just crumbled when he came marching along. And no doubt he expected that when he came to Jerusalem and despite the size of its temple, he would have said, I'll easily dispense with this God. And he didn't realize, as the psalmist says there in verse 5, God is in the midst of her. That's where God dwells. And of course he, Sennacherib didn't realize. He didn't just meet his match with God. <coughs> Sennacherib discovered that in contrast to this great God, he was nothing. <coughs> but attacking God's city was a very dangerous thing. And Sennacherib himself found that out. God dwells in her. The psalmist is what he says elsewhere. He that touches you touches the apple of my eye. More than that, this God spoke there in verse 6 he utters his voice doesn't mean he made a big noise instead it means he spoke in providence and there's Sennacherib and as he's planning his 
attack on the city. He hears news of trouble in his own city back home. And he has to stop attacking Jerusalem and head back to Nineveh uh, to deal with the problem there. And if I remember correctly, when he went back to Nineveh, he was assassinated by two of his sons. God spoke. And the enemy just evaporated. No matter how powerful it looked at the time. And not only did God show that he could provide um, sufficient um, provisions for them during the siege he also showed to them that when he decides then sudden deliverance comes in a moment and that's why they're so confident the God that can get rid of Sennacherib who is going to stop him? Even if a worse than Sennacherib arrives, arises, God is still enough for him. They discovered, as they say in verses 8 and 9, that God is a sovereign. No petty Assyrian emperor no matter what he imagines he's not the real sovereign God is the sovereign of the world and when he wishes he can bring desolation and when he wishes he can break the bow and shatter the spear and make the Assyrian army into nothing And therefore that's why they're confident. And their story is our story. It's not just an historical event from long ago. It's what our God did for our people. And therefore we should share their confidence. So God decides to intervene and say something. I don't know how God said this to the authors of the psalm. I don't know if God said it before they wrote verses 1 to 3. But I do know he did say it. And the psalmist was guided to include it here at verse 10. Right after he had described the problem that they had faced. And he says to them words that we know well. Be still and know that I am God. It has often been pointed out and quite correctly we don't know who God is speaking to do we is he speaking to the surrounding nations be still stop your agitations be still and know that I am God I will be exalted in the earth whatever if he is speaking to the nations Whatever you do, you're not going to stop me being exalted in the earth. What if he's speaking to God's people? They might have been saying to themselves, because as we know, they didn't have 24 hour news back then, but it might take 24 months for the news to come through to them that Sennacherib had been killed and they might have been saying to one another what if he comes back but 
God if he's speaking to the, his people doesn't matter I will be exalted in the earth so whether it's to the rebellious nations or whether it's to the apprehensive believers God is the message is in a sense the same I am sovereign says God therefore be still it is not appropriate to be agitated and disturbed and disorientated when we know who God is just be still and know that I am God our great almighty ever present all loving wise God it's easy to say that I know but it is what the Bible tells us to be still God interrupts this psalmist's meditation and tells him and guides him to include this verse in his meditation <coughs> and that leads him there in the last verse this response a big God the Lord of hosts the God of the heavenly armies that's what it means the hosts are the heavenly hosts Sennacherib he had his hosts there they were standing with their swords and their spears well now they're not standing with their swords and their spears because they've all been smashed according to verse 9 but as the army of the Lord of hosts well angels <coughs> one angel on another occasion destroyed the entire Assyrian army when they were invading elsewhere we are to look to God the God who has got all these we want to call them agencies that he can use to fulfill his purpose and the Bible tells us repeatedly and of course it's, it sounds a bit comical in our sophisticated age but the Bible tells us repeatedly what the angels are doing what all of them are doing every one of them according to the writer of Hebrews chapter 1 or chapter 2 all angels constantly serve the heirs of salvation God's army they're moving around we don't know how they function no one has ever yet written a book a manual that tells us how the angels function but they do act and here the Lord of hosts the Lord with all these powerful resources is linked to the God of Jacob why? because Jacob of all people in the Old Testament knew about the power of the angelic hosts when he was going back from from spending his decades with Laban and he's about to go back to the promised land and ahead of him is Esau and as far as Jacob thinks at that particular moment Esau's on the warpath 
although he wasn't but Jacob thought he was and God dealt with Jacob the way that Jacob thought and I think that's interesting he didn't just deal with them the way things were but he dealt with them the way that Jacob was thinking even though he was thinking wrongly and there he's on this walk back to see his brother Esau he comes to a place called Mahanaim it's only given a verse, a verse in the Bible but it means the place of two armies and the two armies that are there are the angelic hosts there with Jacob as he makes his way to face whatever trouble he imagined was coming we could say to God why do you need to send two armies one would be enough one angel would be enough but God I suppose would might say I want them to feel secure aware of how much I can do for them The God of haste, God of, sorry, the Lord of hosts, the God of Jacob, He is with us. He's our fortress, our protector. Obviously, inside a fort, we'll stop with this, but obviously, inside a fort, we can hear what's going on outside the fort. But what's important to remember, according to this psalm, is who is the fort? God is our protector. God is our refuge. God is with us. It's important for you and I to hold on to that. To hold on to it in life with all the things that come our way. God is with us and he always will be with his people shall we pray Lord we remember the apostle himself said if God be for us who can be against us and as he also said in that passage what can separate us from the love of Christ nothing in all of creation and as he also pointed out as he wrote these verses Paul himself said as he looked up into heaven and he contemplated what Jesus was doing and there he tells us that Jesus makes intercession for us constantly precisely suitably and effectively and we just ask Lord that the intercession of Jesus based on his full knowledge would be very effective in our lives as he works for our good Lord help us to see who is for us because if God be for us who or what can be against us help us Lord to have spiritual awareness spiritual antennae that hears what your word says and that we would be strengthened by it by the work of the Holy Spirit do that Lord we pray for your own name's sake Amen <coughs> we'll sing Psalm 121 from the Scottish Psalter 
I to the hills will lift mine eyes, from whence doth come my need. My safety cometh from the Lord, who heaven and earth hath made. We can sing the whole psalm. of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.